On this episode, we take a look at a couple of small eateries offering everything from savory to sweet in San Diego's dining scene with online ordering, takeout, and shipping options too for these ongoing pandemic times. We are joined by two guests this week, Bradrick Cooper, owner of Coop's West Texas Barbecue in Lemon Grove, and Maya Madsen, owner of Maya's Cookies in the Grantville area. Bradrick and Maya will each share their stories of entrepreneurship with us, the love and meaning behind their menus, and how they are keeping their businesses on track during the pandemic. We went from 20 orders a day to 100 to 300, and just couldn't believe that people were supporting us. Go to bed, wake up, and there's 3,000 orders in the queue. We got people coming from Los Angeles, Orange County, coming to line up and eat barbecue here at Coops, which is, you know, which I, I appreciate very much. You are listening to our Scene in San Diego podcast. Hey, Candice, how are you? Hi, Monica. Good. Good to see you. You too, as always. So as Candice mentioned a few seconds ago, we have two guests today. Our first is Maya Madsen, owner of a gourmet vegan cookie shop that's getting a lot of attention right now. Maya's Cookies had been running solely as an online store since it opened in 2015, but last fall, Maya Madsen was able to open up her facility on Mission Gorge as an actual storefront. And she has seen quite the boom in business. She'll tell us all about her quick rise here. Um, And Maya's shop offers everything from classic chocolate chip and snickerdoodle cookies to gluten-free options and treats inspired by those who have made history like the late great Hank Aaron and recently the powerful Southern California poet Amanda Gorman. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. And last month, on Inauguration Day, the shop created a cookie inspired by Vice President Kamala Harris. So let's go ahead and roll into our conversation with Maya. Well, Maya, hi. It's so nice to talk to you again. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. uh, Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're doing kind of like a savory to sweet episode. So it's like, I know just the lady for the sweets. (laughs) (laughs) And we wanted to talk, you know, to some sort of independent business owners, you know, locally to see how you're doing, how you're faring, how, you know, the last year has gone for you. But can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how the company has grown since you first founded it in 2015? Can you tell us a little bit about how Maya's Cookies came to be and, and what the business has kind of meant to you? Sure, I'd be happy to. I founded Maya's Cookies in 2015. I, my goal was to help bring in a little extra income because I had two sons in college at the same time in 2015. And I knew that this day of reckoning was coming, but you know, when I got that first double tuition bill, I almost fainted. So raising black men, my three sons, I knew that college was, there was no question I was going to do whatever it took to send them to college because I knew what the world was going to be like for them before the whole black lives matter 2020 movement because I was living that as a black mother. So uh, their college tuition is what drove me. So I was baking the cookies out of my kitchen, uh, selling them to my students. And when I say students, I was a personal trainer and spinning instructor. 
and I was selling them my cookies. I know it sounds crazy, but they're <laughs> vegan cookies, and it was a way for me to introduce them to uh, veganism and plant-based for health reasons. So who doesn't love cookies? I would tell them, here's some cookies. They're delicious. You can still eat plant-based and have your dessert. So I had two reasons, that and to help pay for college. So once I was up to baking about 20 dozen a week in my home kitchen, I realized that I should probably turn it into a proper business. So I took the steps to do so. I did a little market research and realized farmer's markets were going to be the most cost-effective way to, for me to do that since I was balling on a budget. And I... Um, I took a class on how to become a farmer's market vendor. I went to that class, and two days later, I was offered a substitute position at Little Italy Farmer's Market, which is the biggest farmer's market in San Diego. And I asked my husband, I said, it's two days from now. Do you think I should do it? I don't have anything. I don't even have a permit yet. And I'll, I'm a competitor. So he said to me, well, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and that's all I needed to hear. So I spent the next two days getting permits, getting tables, getting a tent, doing all the things necessary. And we started in November of 2015 at the Little Italy's Farmer's Market. My online store happened a year later. I um, created an online store and my goal was to try to increase uh, my online presence in sales. And basically I was a farmer's market vendor wanting to be a national e-commerce vegan cookie company. And fast forward to 2015, we were slowly taking the steps to do, excuse me, 2020, we were taking the steps to build our online presence um, without much money. So we were sending out samples to different vegan news outlets and I guess influencers, you could call them, hoping that they would spread the word about our brand and our product and hoping that they would genuinely like it. And that seemed to be working. People were responding and 2020 COVID happened, the farmer's market shut down. So that was a big part of our sales revenue. And I had to lay off half my staff and we were doing about 20 orders a day just to keep the lights on. I had myself and a skeleton crew. And then in June, uh, it just, things changed with all the social injustice that was brought to the forefront Black Lives Matter movement being a Black-owned business, my business ended up on lists that were circulating around the internet of businesses to support. So on June 2nd, we went from 20 orders a day to 100 to 300, and my skeleton staff, we were excited, and we, were, we just couldn't believe that people were supporting us. Go to bed, wake up, and there's 3,000 orders in the queue. And that's when panic set in, because I knew... I didn't have staff, I didn't have supplies, I didn't have boxes, I didn't have anything. And that those sales kept going for days and days and days until we had about 10,000 orders backed up in our queue within the matter of a week. Wow. So that's how we got put on the map. <laughs> it was great, but it also almost killed me and pushed me in ways that I've never been pushed before in my life. And I come from, you know, not easy. I don't come from an easy upbringing. So I've survived a lot in my 51 years and seen a lot and been through a lot. But I'm telling you, out of all the things I've been through, including natural childbirth three times, that was probably <laughs> the hardest thing I've had to get through in my life. And people don't understand. They're like, well, how can it be so hard? There's just layers of layers of mountains and setbacks to climb when you go from being an online retailer that fulfills 20 orders a day to trying to do 500 orders a day. That was our goal. 
So basically, I had three employees on June 2nd. By June 3rd, I had 35 employees. So I went from managing a company that had no more than seven at our max. Now I have an army of 35 employees that I had to deal with. So there's that aspect of it. You know, you have some HR things and just onboarding everyone. One of my staffers, I, she's a college student. And I said on June 3rd, I said, please find me all of your friends that were valedictorians, student athletes. I need the best of the best because I, you know, can't just have, anybody, this is going to be a huge undertaking. I want critical thinkers and problem solvers to help me get through this. So she did that. She put a word out to all those exact people. And we assembled an army of college students that had lost their internships or their sports were canceled due to COVID. And they were so excited to be a part of, you know, what's trending in right now, June 2020, Black Lives Matter movement, social injustice, helping a black owned business. And they were excited to work, too. So I had that aspect. Then we had supply chain issues with COVID. So our vegan ingredients, you can't just get from any old distributor or buy them, you know, at the local bonds. So I called um, my distributors, a couple of them, for some of our ingredients that we only source because they're plant-based from them. And again, uh, I want to say that we use high-quality gourmet ingredients. And... Um, so I was told that it would be two. I was told it would be two weeks before I could get some of my supplies that I needed to fulfill those orders. So that you know was a huge setback. In the meantime, I was getting hundreds of emails every day from people saying, "I placed my order two days ago. When's it going to ship?" Or even things simply as, "I put in the wrong apartment number. Can you go back and change my order?" So we were getting about a hundred of those every day. So just keeping up with that was difficult. And finally, you know, on our website, it said we ship our orders out within three days. So finally, I said, take that down. Because <laughs> people were reading that, not knowing that we had 10,000 orders backed up. The orders were just building up and building out. We couldn't get them out. And finally, on June 4th, I went on social media, A, to thank everyone for their overwhelming support because I just I couldn't believe what was happening to my business but also to let them know that we're working around the clock to try to get their orders fulfilled. And unfortunately, we're going to have at least a two-week backup uh, before we can get the orders out. And I started crying because just all the emotions from the last two days had built up. I hadn't been sleeping. I hadn't been eating. And I just broke down. And I'm normally very stoic. My friends will tell you I'm probably one of the most you know, I'm the last person they'll ever see cry. They probably never have seen me cry. And I just couldn't contain myself. And after that video was over, I was overwhelmed by the support of the comments. Everyone was, you know, Maya, don't worry. Put our order at the back. Take as long as you need. You just made me cry. You know, you. I was coming from my heart. And I think people felt that. And they responded to that. And that just reading those comments when I would have a bad day, I would go back and read those comments and just think, okay, I'm, I have a support system. I know everyone is on my side. I just, I can't thank everybody enough for that support. It took my business to places I never thought I would be, meaning just the support, the exposure, being able to scale up five times over in a way that I didn't think I would be able to scale up until five years from now. I, being a small business, banks pretty much just laugh at you, but, uh, 
the nation was my bank because they purchased from me and allowed me to be able to purchase the equipment and hire. And also something that I've always wanted to do is be able to give back in a meaningful way to my community. And that allowed me to do those things as well. So there are a couple of charities that I would support as much as I could, but I was able to support them in, you know, bigger ways than I dreamt I could this past year. So just all the things. And I love that. So that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> well, that is quite the story. And in the middle of a pandemic, Maya, I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? I know it was a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of hard work. I I have just to keep up with that demand and the business is growing at a fast pace and San Diego is finding out about us. So we opened a little retail front at our production facility. It was basically our front lobby. It's 10 by 10, which is the same size as a farmer's market booth. And we just uh, put a little lipstick on our front lobby and purchased a bakery case and a counter. And the oven is literally 10 feet away, you know, behind the door. So we bake the cookies and just roll them out for our customers and the community has been supporting us and coming out and I love making people happy with cookies and we it's just a great thing to see people come in and they're so happy not just vegans a large portion of our customer base they're not vegans they just love a quality home-baked gourmet cookie and we have it here we like I said we use gourmet ingredients super high quality that's really important to me and each cookie is hand scooped I did talk about automation back during that spike, but to be honest with you, I was not happy with the end result because it looked like a machine spit those cookies out, not a hand scooping it, but we had to do that to get those orders out. And since then we put a covering over that machine and we haven't really used it. We use it if we have like a large order where someone wants cookies that way, but otherwise we continue to hand scoop. And I partnered with Kitchens for Good to help in my kitchen. Half of our staff is from Kitchens for Good, and man, are they trained. So they know what they're doing, and they really help me with operations here in the production side and maintaining quality control. So when people come to Maya's Cookie Storefront, they're going to get a fresh-baked cookie that's of extremely high quality. And delicious. I love that. That's so great that you were able to open a little shop. I mean, you know, in the midst of all the craziness and, you know, upping the pan- the shipping business during the pandemic and then to open the storefront. Um, I remember you telling me that people were like, they could smell the cookies outside. <laughs> and they were like, Maya, where do I buy these? Yeah. So what was happening is we are in a commercial area in the Grantville area. We're right across the street from the Grantville post office. So the smell of cookies wafering in the air, it's pretty strong. And people would follow their nose and come and knock on our door and say, oh, can we buy some cookies? And I would have to turn them away and say, no, we're an online retailer. We sell our cookies locally at the farmer's markets on Saturday and Sunday. And they would look at me and they could see behind my shoulder that there would be hundreds of cookies resting on a rack. And they would look at me like I was crazy. Like, what do you mean? I can see thousands of cookies right there. How come I can't just buy one? And I'd have to explain to them that they're for um, online sales that were shipping out that day. And finally, after every week this happening, at least four to five times a week, I said, well, maybe I can support a little retail shop if we open that up. So I took the necessary steps to do that and got my, made sure I had proper permits and whatnot. And 
lo and behold, people have been coming out. We have lines, and I love to go out to the line and chit-chat with everyone and just hear what their favorite cookie is and what brought them here and connecting with my customers. And I get so much support from them. The black community, especially since we are a black-owned business, the black community has come out full force. And they, I've just, the support is overwhelming. I hear it daily that they're so proud of me and, you know, keep it going and they're going to support me and they love the cookies and they're just, it's sincere. And it, that really keeps me going on difficult days knowing that I have that support. Yeah. Has, has yeah. the volume sort of kept up since June? The volume has gone down since June, but the volume has maintained and increased in a way that has allowed me to hire additional staff, including three full-time employees. So I'm really proud to say that we're providing jobs here at Maya's Cookies, and we keep growing every quarter. We are seeing growth every quarter, and it's a fast growth. So like I said, Kitchens for Good has been a great partner for me because every quarter I will call them, I actually need two more people and here's the skills and they send over the best of the best. And I'm so happy that I have them as a resource. So yes, we have continued to grow, not at June levels, but it's been a steady growth that has allowed me to continue to, I still have one son in college, so my two oldest that I originally started this business with have since graduated, but I still have one son. So this business allows me to help pay for his college and also supply jobs in the community and continue our charitable giving to the charities that are important to me. So I'm so proud of that. That's wonderful. That's great. Maya, um, I know we've talked a lot about the inspiration behind your recipes and, you know, many of your recipes are named after powerful figures in black history. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what goes into, there's so much love behind these recipes first and foremost. So tell us like what goes into the inspiration for these cookies that have become so popular? Sure. I love talking about the cookies. Originally, I started out with just chocolate chip because who doesn't love chocolate chip? And once I mastered that, I would slowly build on other flavors. But a lot of the flavors that we have in our lineup come from my travels. Um, for instance, when we were visiting colleges in New Orleans with my youngest son, we were, you know, just the food scene, but I couldn't find any vegan desserts. So I really wanted to try the caramel pralines. I just couldn't find any vegan caramel pralines. So I came back home after that trip and I created our caramel pecan cookie. When I went up to uh, Seattle, I was inspired, of course, by the coffee scene. So we created our vegan white chocolate espresso. So a lot of my inspiration comes from that. Um, but also from just, I can't explain it. And I, we have this joke here at the kitchen whenever they're asking me to come up, you know, do you have any new flavors? I just say, do you think Picasso could just spit out a painting at moment's notice? No, <laughs> we have to be inspired. So, <laughs> so it just, it, they come out of nowhere. But I was really inspired. The Black History Month collection, I'll talk about that a little bit because I'm so proud of it and the cookies are so phenomenal and the response has been amazing. Um, so being a black woman, Black History Month for me is every month. It's every day. But I did want to acknowledge this February because I really feel like people are listening and paying closer attention. So I decided that I was going to come up with a Black History Month collection. And 
uh, as I was thinking about that, I was watching Debbie Allen's The Chocolate Hot Chocolate Nutcracker on Netflix. I've always been a huge fan of Debbie Allen. She is Black Girl Magic personified. She's OG. And I love what she's doing at the Debbie Allen Dance Academy. That's, you know, serving, giving back to underserved communities is important. And her dance academy is all about that. So I created our hot chocolate cookie that we call the Debbie Allen. So it's a chocolate cookie with marshmallows. So it's supposed to be a little hot chocolate. So that's my ode to Debbie Allen. And then, of course, like the rest of the world, I am just in awe of Amanda Gorman. I can't get enough Amanda Gorman. Seriously. So her out, right? I just, I can't get enough. Her outfit inspired me to come up with our uh, Amanda Gorman cookie, which is a lemon raspberry. So I chose lemon because of her beautiful yellow jacket. And I chose raspberry because of her stunning red headband. And that cookie is flying off the shelf. It is absolutely delicious. It's phenomenal. So we use uh, dried raspberries and we soak them in lemon juice. And we fold them into our sugar cookie dough along with lemon zest and white chocolate. So it's, you know, we zest the lemons each day. Everything's fresh. It's delicious. And I love it. And the last cookie that we created is the Hank Aaron. And I was inspired to do that because of his recent passing. And Hank Aaron is important to me because I have three sons and my husband who also played baseball in college. So baseball is a huge part of my family life. I grew, you know, my kids grew up going to Little League and just hours on end at the Little League fields. We have Hank Aaron ornaments on our Christmas tree. My boys have written uh, book reports about Hank Aaron in elementary school. So that was a no-brainer. And it's basically a brown sugar and butterscotch cookie with peanuts and Cracker Jack. And it is to die for. I just ate one this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Product testing. Product testing. Product testing always. <laughs> So that's our Black History Month collection, and that's just an example of how I get inspired to create different flavors. Sometimes I'll just be sitting there and think, oh, that would make a great cookie. And sometimes I'll have customers give me some ideas or suggestions, and I really like to focus on turning decadent desserts into a cookie. So that's, you know, I don't want these to just be any old cookie. I want it to be a big old chunky monkey filled with deliciousness. So. Yeah. Awesome. What are your plans for sort of the future of the company? Would you like to expand, you know, your retail and wholesale presence or focus on online still? And, and do you plan on eventually maybe expanding beyond cookies? I'll answer that question first about expanding beyond cookies. I am always telling everyone I like to stay in my lane and focus on what I'm good at, which is cookies, but you never know. But for now, we are focusing on cookies. I do, right now, we are looking for the right person to come along. Uh, we are seeking growth, and I'm looking for a potential partner or investor because we're growing at such a fast pace that I can't keep up with the demand. And so I'm going to need to get some help with that. So I am looking to grow my business. And with that respect, we are thinking of, uh, we want to continue to provide our cookies at a national level because the response has been so overwhelming. And I really believe that our cookies are best eaten fresh. And I would love to see our dough out there nationally at some regional retailers and then maybe nationally that way our product, our, our customers can bake those themselves at home. I also 
have heard from a lot of our customers outside of California that they would love a little Maya's cookie shop in their region. We hear that a lot. So I'm exploring that as well. Maybe a second location in another region. So there are so much we can do. I am very um, strategic and conservative because I want to maintain the quality of what we do and what we're all about, which is being able to give back to the community while, uh, you know, just maintaining that high quality product. So I'm trying to grow in a careful way so that we don't lose what we're all about. Definitely. Well, baby steps, since you had such a crazy year, you're allowed to take a little bit of time to figure it out. Yes. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we love hearing your story. That's that was a lot of really great detail for for our listeners. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Our next guest today is Bradrick Cooper, owner of Coop's West Texas Barbecue on Lemon Grove Avenue. Coop specializes in authentic, slow-smoked barbecue, including beef, brisket, and pulled pork. The menu also features savory sides like red beans and rice, mac and cheese, and collard greens, and a bunch of homemade sauces, too. But the sauce is served on the side. On the side. It's, yes. It's definitely a barbecue staple in San Diego. Here's our conversation with Bradrick. Hi, Bradrick. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yes, we're very excited to see you uh, virtually. We want to start off with you telling us a little bit about, you know, how Coops came to be, when you opened, and why you wanted to bring this particular style of barbecue to San Diego. Um, when, in 96, I had moved back to Texas. I was living here in San Diego. I moved back to Texas in 96, and my father had a little barbecue joint. He's a Passover church. And adjacent to his um, church, he had a little cafe. They call it Zion's Kitchen. And he was doing barbecue. And he had made some ribs and some brisket one day. And I sat down and ate and I was like, man, I said, you can't find nothing like this in San Diego. And um, he told me, he said, man, he said, if you learn how to do this, he said, you'll never be a broke man. And um, I stayed there for about a year and a half. And during that whole time, I was helping him um, with his church and helping him with the the cafe. And that's why I picked up the the art of barbecuing. Nice. So wise words from dad there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so back in, in 96, I moved back to San Diego and um, I actually started nursing school and um, I was still practicing the barbecue and um, I would um, make pulled pork and brisket and take it, you know, give it to some of my um, classmates and, they were loving it, and, and um, I ended up working at Kaiser, and while I was at Kaiser, I was there for about 11 years, and I used to um, make barbecue, package it up, vacuum seal it, and freeze it, and I would sell it to the nurses and the CNAs and the LVNs, and, and I would actually bring some sometimes just for because one thing about nurses, they love to eat, and um, so, you know, we would, we would um, have barbecue in the, in the kitchen, and they would love it, you know, and then opportunity came to open up coops and um i was kind of like you know why not you know man i you know it was a good opportunity to um you know start something for my family um i you know thinking that it was you know just thinking that we could do some big things eventually you know we haven't gotten to where we want to be yet but we feel like we're on the way and and at that point was there anyone doing texas style barbecue or doing it well even um no you know um you know, everybody was raving about, you know, Phil's barbecue and, 
you know, which, you know, I look at Phil's as like the, the business module. You know, to me, it wasn't the best barbecue, but it was a great business module. And um, um, there was Cali Comfort, which they're not Texas-style barbecue, you know, but they do their thing and they got a great business going on down there. But um, there was nobody doing Texas-style barbecue. It was funny because when people were coming, would come, they would be upset with me because I wouldn't put barbecue sauce on the meat. You know, they're like, this ain't barbecue. You know, I'm like, what do you mean it's not barbecue? There's like, there's no barbecue sauce on it. I'm like, well, this is <laughs> Texas-style barbecue. We don't put sauce on our meat. You know, we want you to appreciate the meat and have a good sauce to complement it. And um, it took a while for, you know, people who didn't know what it was, it took them a while for them to catch on to it. And I would always tell them, say, hey, look, just try the meat. Try the meat, you know, and see what you think. And they would try, and they were like, oh, man, this is good, you know. I said, yeah, it's all about the meat with us, you know. I said, but I got a bomb sauce to go with it, you know. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I really, I really, sir, I really feel like you paved the way, you know, and primed people for, for other places that would open after you. Yeah, you know, um, Andy Harris over there at Grand Ole Barbecue, you know, he um, – before he opened up the one in um, uh, North Park, you know, he asked me to come check it out and, you know, tell me what I thought. And when I saw it, I said, dude, I said, you're going to kill it over here, man. You know, um, I hadn't had a chance to taste his barbecue. And I said, if your barbecue is decent, I said, you're going to do very well. I said, are you ready? He's like, for what? I said, you're going to, you're going to kill it over here. I'm telling you, the people <laughs> over here, they like to eat local. You know, they like walking to the local restaurants, you know, which is different from over here at Lemon Grove. It's a little different, you know. Um, most of our business comes from outside of Lemon Grove, outside of Southeast. It's starting to change a little bit now. We're starting to see a lot more locals. Uh, we got a lot of people moving into the area, and they're, you know, they're excited to be here. They're excited that we're here. Like, oh, man, I'm so glad I got you guys right in my backyard. You know, I said, oh, I'm happy you're here, you know. But, um, you know, places like North Park there and Hillcrest, they like to eat local, and that's, that's a cool thing. Um, you know, we're trying to get people in this area to catch on, but it's funny. We got people coming from Los Angeles, Orange County, North County, East Lake, you know, coming to line up and eat barbecue here at Coops, which is, you know, which I, I appreciate very much. Yeah. As long as they're coming. Yeah, as long yeah. as they're coming. I don't care where you're coming from. Just come. Yeah. You know? Destination barbecue for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how this last year has been, how the pandemic has affected things. And, you know, I imagine your know, barbecue is such like a great takeout food. Has that, you know, has your to-go business been pretty successful? Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, like I tell everybody, it's been a blessing to us, you know, um, because like I told you before, we almost closed, but, you know, I decided to, you know, give it a shot and see what happens, you know. And um, like I said, the first day um, that we, you know, we, my daughter and I came in here by ourselves and we were so busy because it had been slow since Christmas all the way up until that point. And um, that was the busiest day we had had since Christmas. And man, and it's just been a steady road ever since, you know. Yeah. Are you open for takeout only right now? Or are you also doing like some outdoor dining? Well, you know, we have the chicken coop, which is right across the parking lot from Coops. And um, so we have um, about 50 seats over there. So people can go over there and sit down and eat, but mostly takeout. And you're only open for like the lunch period, right? Only lunch, Tuesday through um, Sunday, 10 to 3. We're just open for lunch. And um, we decided to do that before the pandemic started, you know, and it just, 
I guess, you know, to me, that was just a sign that I did the right thing when I made the decision to do that. You know, I basically did it to cut down man hours and cut down on the time that I was spending here and my, my daughter and my original staff. Because I have three ladies, including my daughter. They're all single moms. And so, you know, they were working all, we were working all day. You know, they would get off work that, you know, leave here like about eight. And so basically by the time they got home, all they could do is, you know, basically check their kids and, you know, which is, I wanted more for them, you know, yeah. as far as their family life. Um, and that was my initial plan when I originally opened up back in 2010 was just to be open for lunch, just load the pit up and sell barbecue till it's gone. But um, when I first opened up, nobody knew who I was. So I ended up saying open later and later. We were open till nine o'clock at one time, you know, and it was taxing. It was taxing. Well, we're glad that you're working less. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future hold for, for you and Coops? I mean, you must get all kinds of offers to expand and, you know, open more locations. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have asked us, hey, when are you going to come up north? Um, when are you going to open up here? And I was like, man, if I had two more of me, I would have been done it. But the plan now for us, you know, this year, this whole year, we just want to work our way, try to work our way out of debt. And, and, and hopefully by the end of 2022, you know, we'll be ready to try to franchise Coops. Um, the one thing that we know we're going to have to do is kind of slim our menu down because our menu is pretty extensive if you looked at it for a barbecue restaurant. We got about seven meats, about six, seven different sides, you know, the three desserts. And we want it to be simple. Enough that, you know, if somebody really had a desire to do this barbecue thing, that it wouldn't be overwhelming for them. Um, because it's, it's, it's a lot of work to try to get ready for opening day. Um, when my guy, my main guy is out here and I run the kitchen and I'll be tired. You know, I can't wait for him to come back from vacation. You know, like I want to give him a raise when he gets back, you know. <laughs> Is it so, hard to keep them happy? Is it hard to train someone for to for barbecue? It is. It's hard to find a person who really pays attention to the details. It's it's real hard, and especially here because our pits they're pretty dangerous pits. The ones we have, we have brick oven pits, and they're grandfathered in, so you can't. You there? I think there are only three in San Diego County. And you can't build them. You can't make them no more. These, like I said, these that we have a grandfathered in, and they're dangerous. You know, if you're not paying attention and don't know what you're doing, you can burn the place down. Um, in the 10 years that we've been open, we've had three fires in those pits. Um, the last one being probably about three years ago. You know, we finally figured it out, got it down to a site. So we, you know, we won't just take on anybody to come and try to learn us and. Most people that come in, they don't, they don't last. They don't make it. They realize that's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, the slow smoked factor, you know, you, like you said, it's a lot of detail and patience. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to be able to multitask when you're a pit master here. And so far, you know, there's three of us, there's me, my main guy. And then I have one of my guys that works over in the chicken coop. He knows how to run it a little bit, but we don't leave it to him because, you know, he's not there yet, but. He'll come over. If I'm working, he'll come over and help me. You know, I consider myself the old man here. So I try to do as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Bradrick, um, in terms of your menu, I mean, it sounds like the foundation for, for Coop's menu is, you know, their family recipes that came from your dad, you know. 
what does your menu mean? What do you want San Diego to taste when they taste barbecue from Coops? Well, when you taste the barbecue, I want you to taste what has been handed down to me from my father. And actually, my, my barbecue is not an exact replica of his, but the technique is what he showed me. And I just kind of came up with my own rub. Um, and I pretty much, uh, I would say that I mastered what he was doing. When he was here, my father was here for Christmas. And we came, came in on a Monday when we were closed. And I had some meat put aside so that he can try it. And um, he said, man, he said, you all doing me now. You know, that was a good compliment, you know, because he was serious about it. You know, he said, man, you all doing me now. And, um, and that, that really made me feel good that he said that because my dad is an honest person. He's going to tell you if you like it, if you don't, he don't care if you're his son or not, you know. <laughs> so for him to say that meant a lot to me. And, um, you know, when you taste our size, the collard greens, the, the mac and cheese, um, that's my granny, my, my grandmother. You know, she had me in the kitchen when I was a, a little boy teaching me how to cook beans and um, pancakes and stuff like that. You know, she always told me, she said, there is no guarantee that you're going to have a good wife when you grow up. So you need to know how to do all these things. You know, So, you know, when I was nine and 10 years old, I was washing clothes and ironing my own clothes and stuff. And it drives my wife crazy that I can iron better than her, you know. <laughs> smart grandma smart grandma. you were brought up and, right for sure <laughs> yeah and, and my mother you know the sweet potato pies um that's 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 for my mother and one of my aunts we call her aunt mickey you know they they taught me how to make the sweet potato pies and you know so it's it's just a lot of love um a lot of detail and just a lot of i, I say spirit you know the spirit mm-hmm. of my mom my grandmother my aunts you know, my father, everybody in my family could cook, you know, and, you know, it's just, you have to know how to cook to be in the family. Do you feel like, you know, this many years in, do you feel like you've figured out, like, the business side of things and, and how to run an independent restaurant, you know? In yeah, you know, and I was saying these last two years, I've learned a lot, you know. Uh, we had some serious bumps coming, um, you know, coming into, I would say, 20... 2018, you know, we, we found out we were doing a lot of things wrong with our paperwork and it costed us a lot of money. We didn't think we were going to make it. We really didn't think we would make it through 2018. And, um, you know, we thank God we had a, a, a very good landlord here that, that was patient with us, that worked with us because he believed in what we were doing, you know. So now that we've gotten over that hurdle and, you know, we're, we're figured out how to do everything right, how to, we're learning how to systemize everything. Um, because I just came in this thing on the fly, really. Um, it, it was the, the opportunity was presented to me and I jumped on it just for the barbecue side of it, not really knowing, really knowing the business side of it. And um, I tell everybody that comes to me that say, hey, I, I, I think I want to open up a restaurant. I, I tell them, I said, the number one thing you got to have is location. You got you to gotta know how to do your paperwork. Make sure you get your paperwork down. And you got to have good food and consistent, good customer service. You know, those are the things you got to have. Because a failure in any one of those departments will destroy you. Yeah. And are you teaching, Bradrick, your, your daughter the ropes? I mean, it's so cool that you're keeping it in the family, you know? Yeah, you know, my, my daughter, you know, she, man, I really can't express my gratitude for her enough. 
you know. Um, you know how every man, you know, hopes that they have a son that, that can come along and, you know, pick up the trade or whatever it is that they're doing. My daughter has been that to me. You know, she stepped right in. Um, you know, she told me about, I want to say about seven, six years ago, she said, Dad, I want to help you with the business. You know, she saw, um, she saw the potential. She saw that I was very serious about this and, and just believed in what I was doing. And she's been right there with me. Thank you so much for your time. It's Thank you, Frederick. Speak with you. And I cannot wait to come and get takeout soon. Thank you guys for having Good me. Good to talk to you. Day. Take care. Well, those were some great stories of two small business owners making it work during the pandemic. And there are so many little places like that trying to make it through these crazy times in San Diego County. I mean, you see it every day in your writing, right, Candice? Yes. In some cases, eateries are finding ways to expand during the pandemic. I've been keeping track of all the new restaurants that are somehow managing to open during the pandemic on sandiego.eater.com. Yeah, and I've honestly been surprised by so many recent openings, uh, but they keep happening because our little communities, they have to find ways to rebuild and, and move forward after all this. So what do you think stands out right now, Candice, in terms of you know things that are new in our dining scene? Well, one that's really fun is a new brunch cafe and ice cream shop from Metal Bar and Restaurant that's opening in North Park sometime next month. Metal's success story is really one of the bright spots to emerge from the pandemic. It sure is. If you'll remember, last year, Metal co-owner Jenna L. Scamp joined our podcast to talk about the spinoff business she had created, Metal Cocktail Creamery, a little shop that sells booze-infused ice cream. When we do like a Negroni ice cream, we're using the same exact equal part specs as we would do for a cocktail. We're just adding all the ice cream, the custard base into it as well. And the creamery has really boomed during the pandemic, and now they're able to branch off into this cafe in North Park that Candace was talking about. And uh, it's definitely one of those real uh, pandemic su- success stories, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm happy for them. It was, you know, a great idea that came at a perfect time, really. Yeah. Metal Bar Creamery and Cafe will be on the corner of University Avenue and Utah Street, and the owners are aiming to launch with patio dining, offering a Southern-style brunch menu daily. Jenna told me they're planning to offer Tex-Mex takes on breakfast burritos and chilaquiles, plus savory hand pies, French toast, pancakes, sandwiches, and more. The owners hope to be operating with a full liquor license by the summer, so at that point, they will add a full cocktail menu and move the cocktail creamery operations to North Park. Love that. Well, North Park will be a good place for that. Um, So another new spot on your list, Candice, that I want to talk about is the Prager Brothers Artisan Breads, which just launched a location on University Avenue in Hillcrest that's now open for takeout. Prager Brothers hails from Carlsbad and Encinitas, and its new Hillcrest location offers the bakery's full range of pastries, breads, and specialty baked goods. And... Shifting gears a little bit here, you told me something about Roll Tacos last week, Candice. So now tell me everything. Well, San Diego does love its rolled tacos, and there's an eatery called Al Tianguis that specializes in rolled tacos made with fresh corn tortillas. That's their whole thing, basically. Al Tianguis already has shops in North Park and Chula Vista, and now a new location is headed to National City at the food court at Westfield Plaza Bonita. And there's one more location planned for Mission Valley later this year. Very cool. Oh, and 
Talking about Mexican food, another interesting homegrown restaurant is Sunny's in Ocean Beach, a taco shop and Mexican cafe owned by former Chargers player Israel Stanley. Now, Sunny's isn't new or anything like that. It's been around for about four years, and it's on Point Loma Avenue, about a block away from Sunset Cliffs. But Stanley did share his story with us on NBC7.com earlier this month and how for so long his dream was to own this taco shop. And his connection to Mexican culture and the food is just so authentic. And I love his story. So I, I had to share it with you. Well, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hopefully you're walking away with lots of new local places to try safely for takeout and outdoor dining. And hopefully to look forward to once things get a bit better here. You can find all of the stories we talked about today on NBC7.com and more of the stories of these small local restaurants in our Eater San Diego and NBC7 roundups, which publish every Friday on the scene section of NBC7.com. We'll also share the highlights from this episode in our show notes on NBC7.com and Candace will have an in-depth look at coops on SanDiego.Eater.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to Scene in San Diego on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Thanks. We'll talk again soon.